You're listening to the Everyday Office Podcast, a weekly show with tips, tricks, and best practices for getting the most and the best out of yourself and your team. Here's your host, Neil Malik. Welcome to the Everyday Office Podcast. This is the podcast about the places where your work and software intersect in ways that can make your life easier and potentially even more interesting. I'm your host, Neil Malik. I'm principal at NAC Training. And today, it's an episode just with my voice on the mic. I have one simple idea in this episode, and I think it's something that everybody can see themselves in. So in my line of work as a software trainer, there's almost always going to be scenarios where people are using brute force to solve problems. They're working harder on something, and you hear the phrase out there in the world, work smarter, not harder. So I often come in and I show them the smart way of solving a problem, the smart way of cleaning something up, the smart way of moving something from one location to another, rather than relying on brute force for it. And I've been as guilty as anybody of using that phrase, of throwing that phrase around, uh, work smarter, not harder, right? Uh, And it works for a lot of things, especially about the first part of the purpose of this whole podcast in the first place, which is to make your life less tedious, right? Tedious work is the grunt work. It's the the heavy lifting of the information worker, right? Um, if we're an information worker, if we get paid for the work of our brains more so than the work of our bodies, then we want to save our brains as much tedious work as possible because... And this is where I differentiate myself from a lot of people. A lot of people think that what they're doing is they're freeing themselves up to check out, (laughs) right? If you don't have to physically copy and paste things from one location to another multiple times a day, then you can just sort of sit back and relax, right? Well, I've decided over the last five years or so to really push myself towards a different motto, an adapted motto. And the adapted motto is very simple, work smarter and work harder. And what I mean by that is that sometimes the smartest thing for us to do is to exert ourselves more in chasing something, in trying to affect something. Here's the big picture. If all you're doing for 40 hours a week for 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life is just getting to Friday or just getting to five o'clock, or God forbid, if you're doing it for 50 hours or 60 hours or 80 hours a week, you're ruining the biggest part of your life this huge swath of your daytime hours during the prime of your life on something you actively hate, you're trying desperately just to do it less, I would hope that in search of something that has meaning, something that has real value, that we'd be willing during those 40 hours to put ourselves to real good use. So I'm all for saving ourselves the brute force, the grunt work of our jobs, if that frees us up to do the really creative and human 
art of our work. And I know it might sound crazy to call our work art, but I'm a big reader of Seth Godin. If you haven't read his books, especially uh, Lynchpin, go read the book Lynchpin by Seth Godin and see if you're not inspired to be more, to do more, to do something that has real value to it. I know that a lot of us right now are facing situations where it's possible in the next 20 years for artificial intelligence to replace our jobs, or at least a huge chunk of those jobs. And while there are people who bury their heads in the sand, who hope that they'll retire before that happens, or hope that they can shift to something that they don't really know what it is yet, I'm going to tell you, I think we should absolutely steer into it, right? Uh, you know, when you're slipping on the road, a lot of times your your inclination is to steer against the spin that you're in. But in practicality, if you want to get traction, if you want to do something positive when you're spinning on a slippery roadway, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to turn into that spin. You're supposed to go with it so that your tires can catch hold and can move you in the right direction again, so that you're not completely out of control. And I think we should absolutely do the same thing with technology. I think what we should be doing is embracing all the things that software, that technology, that artificial intelligence can do for us so that it frees us up for our most human acts. Those little moments of interaction with other humans, those insights that are so difficult to program into a piece of software that we as humans are able to make, those disparate connections spread all over the place, and the real interactivity with other humans, the engagement with other humans. If you have ever, <laughs> I, I believe I will remember the moment for the rest of my life. I was on this call and for the first 30 seconds or so, you just sort of accept the person on the other end of the line as a person. And then as you're talking to them, you start to realize, you know what? These responses, these aren't human responses. They're canned. They're really close to the right response, but they're not the right response at all. And I remember stopping myself and asking the robot on the other end of that call, are you a robot? And she, she, <laughs> and the robot paused for way too long as they tried to process what my question was and said, no, I'm just here to help you. <laughs> if there's anything more terminatory, I don't know what, the, what it is. Yeah. I'm just here to help you. Just allow me to help you. <laughs> For a very, very long time, we are going to be able to tell the difference between what is human and what is close to human. And there are plenty of situations where close to human is good enough. Okay, I'm not saying the robots can't do 
a huge portion of the things we need done and do them perfectly satisfactorily. What I'm saying is there are things that robots cannot do in a way that satisfies us in our soul, right? That resonate with us, that create a real human connection. And so whenever possible, I think we should be finding ways of amplifying our humanity. Let me give you a couple examples of that. Item number one, your email. If you do not currently have rules and quick steps in place to automate the outgoing responses to things, you should absolutely have that. Because if you receive 300 emails a day, I guarantee you that at least half of those emails do not require anything more than a robotic response, an acceptance, a de- uh, declining, um, a simple yes or no, a simple thank you, we will be back with you later. You should embrace the ability for Outlook to automate those things for you so that you can focus on the correspondence that will actually mean that other people will work with you better. And this one's a big one for me, the the work smarter and harder thing for me. If we think of a presentation, I right now I am desperately trying on Twitter to ignore some of the people who are very gung-ho about killing PowerPoint. Because I think if you say to me that a piece of software like PowerPoint is your enemy, it's what's wrong with the world. You have got it so completely twisted that you, I don't even know if you can be helped at that point. If you can't realize that a piece of software that puts something on a screen is not to blame for the ills of business, I don't know what to tell you. It's not about the software. It's about how we choose to use it. So let me give you an example of this, okay? If you have six meetings a day, and you prepare PowerPoint slide decks with bullet points for all six of those meetings every day for the rest of your life, you are going to make the most boring presentations anybody has ever seen in their lives. And you will undoubtedly read those slide decks to other humans. And if you can't see why it would be a bad idea to collect 20 people in a room together and read to them, I don't know what to tell you. So here's working smarter and harder. The first step, you make your slides with interesting and compelling visuals that further the context and understanding for the people in the room, right? So instead of writing out what the scenario is, you diagram that scenario, or you create a chart that illustrates what's happening because of that scenario, and you put up that visual, and then you talk about the world that that visual lives in. But the problem that everybody comes back to me with, and they they say it like it's a gotcha. They say it like, like, of course, you're not thinking of this thing that will keep me from doing good work. It's not my fault I'm doing bad work. It's the situation's fault that I'm doing bad work. Here's what everybody always tells me. Well, but Neil, 
I'm not going to be able to get the the most important executives in the room for my presentation. So I have to send out my slide deck to those executives. I am pausing for effect right now. If you cannot respect other humans enough to make what happens in the room, in the presentation, compelling and useful, such that being on a plane and scanning your slides on a phone would be the equivalent of it, you need to reconnect. Those executives are not more important humans. Just because you have the authority to get some people in the room doesn't mean you should inflict your presentation on them. Here's what you do instead. You make a presentation that is compelling, full of rich visuals that gets people on board and aligned with the course forward. And for those people who couldn't be in the room, you create something that gives them the same level of value. Because I can guarantee you that if what you do is you make 27 slides, each with five bullet points on it, even the executives who receive those 27 slides later, they're not getting full value out of that. Your bullet points are not well-written. Your arguments are not tight. They don't flow from slide to slide. If somebody is not able to be in a room with you, consuming your presentation as you deliver it and seeing how the visuals tie together, then what you need is to give them the narrative. You need to to lead them down the path that the people in the room received. And you get there by good writing. Okay, If you cannot get that person to listen to you, then you need to write it well. You need to have a report that gets to the point quickly and also delivers those rich visuals. A PowerPoint slide deck is not a Swiss army knife, okay? Your PowerPoint slide deck should serve its purpose as well as possible. And if you are purposefully delivering shoddy work, what are we doing? I mean, seriously, if you feel compelled to do only awful work at your job for 40, 50, 60 hours a week, for 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life, change something. Change. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to 75-year-old you to not waste the best years of your life doing things you hate, building things you do not believe in. Do something you believe in. Have an impact. Change things. Even if it's just selling more sneakers or... I don't know, making somebody else's life easier because everybody's always at the events they're supposed to be at. I don't care what that is. 
make a difference. Have it be that when you leave, people notice that you left. All too often, we just, we feel sorry for ourselves. We say, well, management says it's got to be like this. Well, management's doing its best to try to keep really awful employees from screwing everything up. I want you to be truly impactful. And in my mind, that means that we work smarter, we find the right tools for the jobs, we cut out the grunt work, but then we work harder, right? We, we realize that communicating with other humans is our superpower. The only thing we can really do in this world better than robots, 100%, is compel other humans to listen to us, to understand what we're going for, and to get on our side. Because we truly understand emotion and context. We can look people in the eye and drive change. I know this got a little bit off the rails, but I'm going to keep it. I'm going to put it out there in the world because it's something I believe in. I I have been in business for myself for almost a full decade at this point. And it's hard. I mean, it's it's really really hard to do everything in a business by yourself. And now with employees to do everything in a business and make payroll. But I I cannot turn back from this. This is what this is what sparks my soul. If I weren't doing this, my life would be a lot more gray, drab. I think it's important that we do what we can do and we do what we, we want to do. We don't just do what comes to us. We don't just do what comes easy. And I'll say it right now, Seth Godin's much more articulate on this point. So definitely go pick up a book, uh, Lynchpin by him, or uh, so much of his stuff is about exactly this. I hope today, if you're listening at the end of this recording, that you do one thing to push yourself in the right direction. And what I mean by right is look inside. Look at what you want out of life. Look what you're good at, what what lights you up. Go do that. And do it really, really well. I mean, give it something. Don't just show up for eight hours and dread your life every day. Do something that makes you want to get out of bed and go do something meaningful. I know I am. Have a wonderful week, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Everyday Office is a podcast by Knack Training, a training and consulting company specializing in Microsoft and Adobe software, as well as presentation design and delivery, 
data visualization, and collaboration. Show notes and additional resources for this and all our shows can be found at nactraining.com slash podcast.